Welcome back to Ways to Love Your Money. I'm Elizabeth Dawson. And before we get started with our guests this week, I want to introduce you to a conversation that I'd like to have with you. As a complimentary consultation, I'd love for you to give us a call at 619-640-2622. Talk about you, what's on your mind, what your questions are, maybe what your estate plan is, because we're going to lead into this because our next guest here is Mr. Drew Strasseri, and we've actually had a fireside chat with him, which was amazing, and I think you're going to love this interview that we just had today. So Mr. Drew Strasseri is, is basically waiting on hold. He can't wait to, to join us here, but we're going to talk to him about his relationship with money and really the design that he's created around uh, being an attorney, but also being a contractor. And, you know, he said he hammered nails just to get through college, through uh, through uh, law school. So I think you're going to love his story. He's a quite genuine man, and uh, we can't wait for you to stay tuned. So we'll be right back. Well, welcome back. We have Mr. Joe Strazeri here, and I can't wait to have our conversation today because I've had many conversations with Joe, but they are, uh, they're always something more that we can dive a little deeper on, and I'd love for you to get to know Joe the way I know him, and uh, without further ado, we have Mr. Joe Strazeri. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's wonderful to see you again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So you're enjoying your lovely backyard. Uh, as we all should during this time of year. Yes, right? yes. Well, Ways to Love Your Money is a show that I asked you to be on. We did a fireside chat a few weeks back, which was amazing. And we talked a lot about the different types of planning. But, you know, Ways to Love Your Money is a money show. I'd love to talk a little bit about you and what your relationship with money is. Sure. Go ahead. I would be happy to. <laughs> um, is that just kind of an open-ended question, my relationship to money? Yeah. Um, sure. I, I would say, at least for me... Um, in my younger years, money was about providing security for my family. Mm. So there was a mad rush out of a certain amount of wanting to please my parents to show that I could do a good job and take care of my family to go out and amass to get, um, to get income that would be passive income. So first it was to go out to cover, and then it was, okay, how do we live in such a way where I can amass assets and where passively come to us. Because what happens one day if I'm not well? Sure. What happens one day if I get sick? What, God forbid, yeah. if I was to die? What, that responsibility, this whole Italian background of the responsibility to take care of everybody and do that. So I would say the first relationship with money was to make sure that I pleased others to show that I could do this well. Sure. And then it was um, a concern about being able to save ahead. And at 38 years old, my wife and I had been married a couple of years. We had a four-month-old. Mm -hmm. I had a massive heart attack and six bypass. Wow. So that drove me to, oh, my goodness, what if I go down? What if I'm going to be sick all the time? What if I can't make money? What if I leave early? How is that going to be? At the time, my, my wife was a school teacher, but we had decided that when the kids were small, she wouldn't. She'd take care of the kids in the home. Mm. So I was that breadwinner. And I got married a little bit later in life, so I'd already because of this feeling about money, sure. had amassed some um, passive income assets. So as my daddy would say, don't get married till you can buckle your own belt, and it's <laughs> yours and you own it. So that was that's kind of what drove the initial um, drive to money. Um, then there was a balance issue. Mm -hmm. My driving so hard I'm not enjoying, but um, is my family not enjoying me? 
And there's a little bit of a fun fact. Yeah, there's a little bit of a fun fact about you before you became a lawyer. What did you do? I am a general contractor by trade. I hammer nails to law school. I grew up in a family that you had, most people I knew had their businesses and also built things. They built spec homes, they built shopping centers. And I drifted into that world because I just thought, well, that's what people did. Yeah. Um, and I, at the time, from the career that I had and the construction work I was doing, I was making radically more in the construction side, so I did it full time. And it was during that one day that I said, my, my parents were asking me, are you going to get a professional degree or are you going to develop? And my parents were actually against my becoming a lawyer. Really? Fact, my father, um, I'm going to say this kindly and lovingly, <laughs> I would say tried to bribe me by saying, Joe, I'll do this project with you and I'll contribute this and you contribute that if you don't go to law school. Wow. Um, and then in my last semester of law school that I paid for is when he said, I'm proud of you, I'm glad you're doing it. Oh, oh by the way, we're going to develop land again here, right? <laughs> <laughs> So dad was a developer by trade, and so you kind of fell, followed into the family footsteps. Uh, that was part of it. My dad was an entrepreneur. My dad came to the country with nothing from Sicily. Um, got started in a small business, a grocery store business by his aunt, his sister, my aunt. And he was a very driven soul that developed some grocery stores and then came to California, saw a supermarket for the first time in his life and said, I can't compete with that. What am I going to do? Mm. And he had a chunk of change, and he found a corner lot to build on. And a guy named Ali Owens was the uh, contractor across the street who my dad would kind of learn from. Yeah. And oddly enough, when I graduated from college, Ali was kind enough to come on my first construction project and teach me. <laughs> wow, wow. And, and so you said you waited a while to get married. Did you, were, you, were you a little older when you went to law school? Or Yes, I was in my 30s by the time I went to law school. Wow. I'd, already made, I'd already made my nickel by the time I went to law, yeah. law school. And I'd already sacked away and got some investment real estate property and some investment accounts. Um, law was what something I always wanted to do, and for lots of family reasons and health reasons, et cetera, wasn't able to. Yeah. And I had reached a level of success in that world. Um, and I figured I could go to law school in two years and four months and then decide to do either. Uh, I love what I do in law, and my business background helps me a lot with our business owners that we work with. So again, if you're sure. asking about my relationship with money, as I thought about it, as I filled out some things for you, mm -hmm. as I said here now, um, a lot of it is going after the footsteps of people that I found um, to be successful mm. when I was younger. And even a great part of it was about pleasing others. And then there's this other part that is based on fear. Oh. What if? Mm -hmm. What if this doesn't go well, that doesn't go well? Should I be prepared for that? Mm. That's a lot of what if. A lot of what if. It is. It is. Um, but it's an easy solve from my perspective. Mm. It's as simple as live below your means. Okay. And I know that sounds really silly or really simple, but depending on how far you're willing to live below your means, it's amazing how this stuff starts accumulating. Mm. It also provides for a greater level of happiness, I think. That's not to say that I don't spoil myself or my wife or my kids. <laughs> I think I do. But I think that spoiling has been relative to our capability. Sure. And I think you and I have spoken a little bit about your children and how they are so important to you and about raising them similarly how mom and dad raised you, but also with different uh, knowledge along the way. We've talked about this in the past. So how does that kind of transfer? Very much so. I, I, I very much cherish the way I was raised. 
and we were raised very conservatively from a financial point of view. Um, but during that time, my, especially my father was, I got this, you know, go, go, go to school, do well, um, and live very tight because it wasn't very much that if you do work, save half your money. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a lot of how to manage money when mm -hmm. I was young. It was just save it and it'll work itself out. Yeah. So my father had no idea anything about stock market. At best, he might do CDs and bonds just to save money to buy real estate. But there was no education on how money made money other than brick and mortar. Mm. So one of the things, again, probably trying to counterbalance with my kids from when they were small, if my daughter was babysitting or my son had first communion, whatever it was, whatever they would put in the bank, I would double. Yeah. And that way they got to amass. And when my son went off to college, I walked into the bank with him with an account that he had had at that point for 17 years and converted that account to just his name. Mm -hmm. So that account showed a history and showed a savings history and attached a save, uh, checking account to it. He funded it with his first $300 into his um, checking account that says his Evergreen amount. So he should never drop a dime below that. And then as we supported whatever that was or he did, he put stuff in his checking account and it has something to get to. He got his first credit card. Mm. And then he had this nice size savings account and he gets taken seriously when he walks in the bank. Wow. The credit card wasn't an issue. Um, now he's able to add to that savings account, mm. but I'm not adding, I'm not doubling whatever he puts in. We have a high watermark. Whatever he saves by the time he gets through college, the day he graduates college, I'll do by almost one by five. Wow. For our end. Wow. To help him start, get him his first piece of real estate mm. as a down payment. So his goal is to keep a good credit and get good grades and work hard. And if he works, he adds money to that savings account to build up to what he, he'd like. And that's just our little way of trying to show. Now we're at the point in that savings account that we have to get to like you and say, Elizabeth, will you show Sal how money makes money? I remember the first, um, he's in a sophomore year at Gonzaga. And he came home after his first year, and he had a meeting with his financial advisor. And he was surprised that he worked so hard to add to that account. But the money, the account made more money than he said. <laughs> and it was like a light bulb put off. Sure. And now when I say, well, Sal, you can pull money out of your account. You can go do that. Well, Dad, it takes me a lot to make that. And then it'll reduce my income for the year. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it, it's just I'm trying to get a mindset to him on how money makes money too, which is something mm -hmm. that I didn't get as much of, though I'm really grateful for what my parents taught me. So does he still have that real estate bug like your family has passed down to you? Um, he does. Uh, the idea of working a construction project hasn't come to him yet. <laughs> I'm sure that will, be, that will come along because it will compensate well. And if he gets that bug and he works this summer in a construction project, the next summer, I'll have him work for an engineering firm mm. to draft some plans. And yeah, if you can just give me a market where interest rates go back up, property goes back down, and contractors are cost less money, <laughs> I'll go build again. But we're not there yet. We're not there right yet. <laughs> we're definitely right not now, there yet. Property values are very high um, if you're buying raw land, and the cost of materials and the cost of contractors is through the roof. Mm -hmm. um, I assume that we'll have an adjustment in our economy, and those things will change. Yeah. So for me, my Valhalla will be when the bank calls me and says, Joe, we got some properties where they started to build their sticks out of the ground and they can't continue. Can you finish? That's my time to go back to work in that. That's great. Yeah, go finish the project. Until then, I, being a lawyer is a good thing. 
they'll always still be a lawyer. Sure. But um, you don't make money in real estate when you sell it. You make it when you buy it. There you go. That's a t totally different sense of news. I'm so curious. What is Sal going to college for right now? What's his degree going to be in? Business and finance. Um, I, I, fortunately or unfortunately, both my children have decided that they'd like to be an attorney. I think that's because of this crazy Italian Sicilian uh, Catholic background stuff. And like I was out to please my folks, I'm sure I've driven part of that in them. I think there are downsides to that and upsides to it. Truthfully, by the time he graduates college, he can go down to town if he wants. Yeah. He's going to a nice school. He can go do that. He mm -hmm. can do other things. Now, is your daughter already in college as well? My daughter is a software over at OLP, our latest okay. piece that you're in San Diego. Yes. Um, what she wants to do, I think that she's um, she's very driven, and she right now has an idea what she wants to do. But that same idea, she had another idea a year ago that was very different, that she was very definite on. I don't think I have to worry about it at 15. Um, <laughs> she's a, but I think she stresses about it because we stress our kids out way too early on what they're supposed to be when they're done. Mm -hmm. I think 15 years old is a little too soon to try to figure that out. Well, it's, it's hard for, I think, a lot of kids, whether they're 15, whether they're 19, whether they're 20, and then something just finally starts to bite the bug, and then they get excited about something that's passionate. You know, so. Yeah, my job is just to make sure that I expose them to different things. Mm -hmm. So um, right now, my daughter loves baking and sewing, and that's her big thing. And she does a lot of that inside of her school under the, the arts, performing arts side. Oh, that's great. Uh, but she says she wants to be a lawyer, um, but she but she loves her so she doesn't like the others. <laughs> uh, my son right now is getting his butt handed to him in an accounting and economics class. They said to me, but dad, lawyers and contractors don't have to do math. And I said, son, I'm around math all the time. All the day long, yeah. It's just a matter of finding their aptitude. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would say, find something that makes you happy and do that for work, and that'll be good. Right. Um, I might augment that by find something that makes you happy that you can augment for work that you're that um, can be your fallback position, but go do something that takes care of your family first and foremost. Sure. If you've nailed take care of your family with whatever this is, and then you can do that and build it up where it does do, great. But something that doesn't take care of your family, that has you struggling financially, doesn't produce the, the um, security for your own family, mm -hmm. and also doesn't produce a calm life. Mm -hmm. So many people that are stressed out, even more so with what's going on now, are stressed out because of money because they're living above, but they don't have an advisor like you. Right. And therefore, they're, they're, uh, no matter how much that they make, they're gonna be chasing it from then on. Mm -hmm. And that produces a level of stress that's just hard. All of us, including myself, have had a couple of bad years. The year that I had a massive architect, sure. six bypasses at 38. Wow, 38 that years old, wow. Year. 38. Wow. That was a rough year financially because mm -hmm. I was out of the game for three months. Mm -hmm. There was, and there was a lot to consider. Um, and I had also taken a couple of business venture risks that depended on me being in. Mm. So it's, you know, you can take a risk when you make sure everything else is okay. And we were, and I've been uh, one other major time with my law partner since then, where we had a year that was really rough and we had to tighten our belts and decide what to do. Sure. Now let's talk about your practice. Let's talk about uh, the firm that you've created with your partner and all the, all the accomplishments you've done there and, and some things that you like to promote within the business as well. Um, Steve Mancini and I found each other before my heart attack when I was early wow. on. I was looking for a silverback. 
I was um, in my 30s, new into the law practice, and I was involved in cases because I thought I was to be um, a criminal lawyer. That turned out to be not my good answer because I got caught in the hallway by a family mm. that was a victim family of somebody oh. that I helped get off, and that had me reconsider my life's path. Mm. Um, I tell a friend of mine that weekend that I talked to, she said, Joe, you know, real estate, you know, construction, go do that for law. So I did. And inside of that, I found what you now know is estate planning and tax planning mm. in order to help people keep more of their money. And it was an area that I understood for those people. Mm -hmm. And I found that I really enjoyed families like myself that wanted a level of success, um, that either ran a business or treated real estate like a business, mm -hmm. became a big focus, and then estate planning in general. I love mm -hmm. helping people take care of their own families, as you can hear from mine. Yes. So that's what I drifted into. But I needed a silverback because I would get often people ask, are you old enough to be able to do this? Because <laughs> I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> take, take care of major dollars. Uh -huh. And so I sought out uh, Steve Bensini and eventually Alex Latouf, who were both 12, 15 years old. And I was. Steve and I became permanent partners. We now own um, four firms together. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we travel together. I travel 10 weeks a year. Steve and I travel with our families as a pod five of those weeks a year. So my kids are, almost, are closer to Steve and Carol than they are even to Annie's parents or my parents wow. because we're together so often. Um, that I, I learned early on to take care of your partner first, the business will take care of itself. So I found out what made Steve happy and we do that. And what makes Steve happy is making Carol, his wife, happy. Wow. So there were, there were things that she needed, like going back to Hawaii on a regular basis because that was where she, that's her home where she grew up. And for Steve, fly fishing turns him off. So getting him out fly fishing one to three times a year, he'll do anything the rest of the time. Oh my. Because he loves fly fishing so much. Wow. So what are the two things that you and your wife like, like so much that they try to accommodate with you and your partner when you're all traveling together? A lot of our focus are the kids. We both, um, I remember the day that Sal was born, my wife, as Sal was being born, looked at me and said, when he comes into this world, you're on him. With the time of us taking care of each other, now it takes a backseat. And she was crying, and as, as he came out, and he went over to that French fry warmer thing that we all know about, <laughs> um, she looked at me like, go away, and stay uh -huh. on him, and wherever he goes, stay with us. Uh -huh. And that's kind of been our focus is the kids. So Steve and Carol know that that's a big draw for us, and that's probably why we've made vacation with us so much, because that's been that focus. Hmm. The next question is going to be, what's next? Yes, what is because next? In a couple, three years, we're empty nesters. Yes. And I looked over and said, you know, do you really want that much of me to be retired? Uh, my wife uh, teased me one day at the time. We were wife sick with some friends. And she was mentioning that after my youngest goes off to college, that I might retire. And I had talked about the time of retiring in my 50s. But then um, that girlfriend, Tony, looked over at her and said, Annie, do you want Joe? Do you want to be Joe's full-time <laughs> project? And my wife looked at me and said, you worked as much as you want. <laughs> so I think it'll probably be this, um, I'll probably move 12 weeks of vacation a year. Mm -hmm. And it'll probably be four half days a week um, in three or four years. But I don't see quitting because I belonged to this program years ago called The Strategic Coach by Dan Solomon. Very familiar with it. And at the top of the paper, he wrote the retirement trick. I wrote down, and Steve did it with me, if I was to retire today, mm -hmm. colon, 
On the left-hand side, I would no longer. On the right-hand side, I would start. Mm -hmm. And the first, I want to say 17 years ago, the first five or 10 years, we had things to write down. Mm -hmm. But I haven't had a dang thing to put on there in over seven years. Wow. So I'm not too sure what I would do if I retired. I love what I do. I love helping the families we do. Steve and I have got team members that have been with us 20-some-odd years. Mm. Not all of them, most. Um, so the businesses, for the most part, run themselves. During that pandemic time that it was down, Steve and I went to work seven days a week, almost 14 hours a day, hmm. for about three months. Wow. Because the business needed us. Mm -hmm. Our clients needed us. Mm -hmm. But for the most part now, it's built such that we're allowed to take time. I think that's great because sometimes I think when you're in that place that you've you've done everything that you've wanted to accomplish and you're working and it still accommodates your lifestyle and doing the things. I'm very familiar with Strategic Coach. I was very much involved with that for a little over eight years, but I still use a lot of the systems and procedures and the tools, which I think is so important. Um, but you've built something in your practice with Steve that's so different than most uh, law firms. And I think that that is attributable to the fact that you want to even work with um, other advisors out there. You want to educate, you want to counsel, um, you really want the financial plan to come alive. And those are, those are important education. things. Education motivation became so important to us. Mm -hmm. And knowing what was going on in the disciplines around us, accounting, financial advice, life insurance, banking, um, M&A work, et cetera, mm -hmm. that we early on formed the Southern California Institute, which puts over 250 programs a year on usually live recorded now all now all digital um, for the short amount of time that we're going to have it for a year or so two-thirds to advisors one-third to their clients on a variety of subjects that go around us mm. um, Steve and I both enjoy teaching we both enjoy writing and we institutionalize what you might think of as marketing but our way of giving back so we have hundreds of instructors around the country and tens of thousands of students and it's a good support system to our law firm that does what we're best known for resolving messes and getting the heart of highly relevant matters in three areas. Integrated tax and state planning, business succession, and family governance counseling or family business conflict. So um, the other firm, Founders Group, does, helps businesses get ready for transition, okay. either to the next generation, to the employees, or a third party in a whole or in part. So those businesses have teams that run them. Steve and I love being involved, enjoy our clients. And the Institute does enough to create new work, but also support our community. Mm -hmm. And we've got lots of friends that grew up in that, that then refer to each other and help each other around the country. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you're right, most lawyers don't have a business model. No. They have a job. Right. Steve and I, because of coach, and because we counsel other uh, business owners to get themselves out of the way of the business, to make it worth more and more stable, Mm -hmm. Remember my story. At 38, right. I had to leave the business like this for three months. Right, right. It survived and did well. Why is that? It's because you build the business not to be dependent on you, mm -hmm. as you know. That doesn't mean I don't get to play whenever I want. <laughs> I get to interfere as much as I want. But I'm interfering in other people's work. I'm not, do, I'm, I don't have it such it can't be done without me. That's because I want them to be okay and grow, but also because I want a business, not a job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you've created that. You've created that and so much more. Um, and I'm and I'm so sorry, but we're getting close to being ending the time that we have available. But Joe, thank you so much for being a part of the show. It's been great to have you. And 
what a wealth of knowledge. And I know that there's going to be some areas where if people want to get in touch with you, they can. We'll post those websites and such of that nature, especially about the, the program that you teach. I, I just want to thank you guys. You and your team have been so kind oh, thank you. Um, the way in which you draw out what's right for planning for clients, what's right for planning for clients for mine, the ones that you've talked to me about that are yours, the way you just help people in the community, the way you let people see this that are not your clients because you just want them to do better and be okay. Absolutely. Whether they're trying to do it on their own or somebody else, I'm just Thank you very much for including me. Oh, my gosh, Joe. Thank you so much. I'd give you a big hug right now, but I, you can't be here. <laughs> We're in the COVID world. <laughs> big hugs. <laughs> I do. I do. Well, again, stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're going to finish up the show. But, gosh, you know, big clap for Mr. Joe Strazeri and what a, what a gift and an honor to have him on the show. Thanks so much. We'll stay tuned. Wow, what a powerful message Mr. Joe Strazeri just gave us within his relationship with money and what he's even instilling with his children. I think it starts with our children, that we need to be less secretive about money and also give them more information about how to have a better relationship with money. There's so many people out there that deserve to have better information about what they're working so hard for. So I know we have an audience uh, guest that's going to actually tell me a question, and uh, I'm going to try and answer it the best I can. Can you explain why you don't like the use of credit cards? What should I do about my credit score? Okay, well, as you know, if you've read my book, Ways, you know, Wealth by Design, this is something that I do talk about. Young people, they usually say that uh, in order to establish credit, you need to have a credit card. I'm not a big believer in that. I would much rather put my child, um, which things that I have done for my children, uh, when they were going through college, I let them do a couple student loans. I wanted them to think about what the fact was. What I was doing secretly was paying the student loan payment, but their name was on the student loan. That actually helped them have incredible credit as soon as they were graduating from college. Um, in addition to that, what about putting them on a phone? You know, putting them on a phone bill that they're actually paying for or you're even helping them. But it's that repetitiveness of being on something for credit. Because if we're concerned about our children's credit, uh, I think what you're going to like about the conversation that Joe had about his son, Sal, was that when his son saved money, he doubled it. And he continued to save that until he was 17, just getting ready to go off to college, then started to share the story with him, why did they do that? Well, the why was because he wanted him to have a good relationship with money, but then to also know how to balance what money he was going to live with. Not live beyond, but live with. And then also to add to it. So. The big story there was at the end of his, you know, graduating even from uh, if he went to um, get his master's or something like this, that when he was done with school, that that money would be there. And gosh, mom and dad are talking about multiplying it times five. That's huge. Not every family can do that, but that is a huge commitment to creating something that looks better on paper. And so when his son walks into the bank, he has a better relationship with the banker. I'm always firm on that. Have a good relationship with your banker at your bank. Um, under, under this pandemic, it's hard to do that, but you can still pick up the phone, you can still go to the teller, you can still talk to them like they're a normal person. So now is the time to get smarter with credit cards. Credit cards can create a lifestyle for you, but it's a lifestyle that you're living beyond your means. If, if you're giving yourself a limit that you're going to put on credit cards each and every month and not increase that, that's one thing. And people will tell me all the time, I pay it off every month. Well, at, one, at what month? you know, is it higher than the next month or higher and higher? It's always the sacrifice that you're doing against not being able to save. 
Having a better relationship with money is one that you shouldn't have to pay for it. If you're keeping a balance on your credit cards, you're paying for your money. You're paying transaction costs. You're paying interest. You're doing all those things. And even if you pay off your credit card one month to another and don't charge, believe it or not, you're probably going to get a little bill the next month even though you didn't charge on it. It's because it's residual. Credit cards are charged um, with us in favor of, you know, it's daily, it's by the hour, it's by the minute. So if that interest is charged to us by the hour and by the minute, why should we pay for money? Even with banking, you shouldn't have to pay to have a banking account. So just think about this. It's just logical. Is it logical? Is it sensible? If you're paying for money, it's what you don't want to do. Be in more control. Don't live beyond your means. Exactly what Joe was saying is live within your means and maybe a little bit below it, and then you'll always feel that you're financially successful because then it's not driving you. You are driving it. All right, I hope that was helpful. Again, stay tuned next week for Ways to Love Your Money, our next episode. And if you have any questions, please reach out to questions with an S at Elizabeth with an S, Dawson.com. Thanks again. The information provided in this show is for informational and educational purposes only. This show is not investment advice, nor is it intended to address the financial needs of any particular viewer. The opinions expressed on this show are not intended to be an endorsement of any particular investment strategy or service of any other kind. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned throughout the show. Before acting on information in this show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular situation and strongly consider seeking advice from a financial advisor.